Welcome to Christian Life Assembly Online. We are so glad that you were able to join us. We hope you enjoy the message this week from Pastor Jim Poirier. For more information, please visit our website at www.clawinnipeg.org. Or if you have a prayer request, please email us at prayer at clawinnipeg.org. Your Bibles and turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 2 to 4. And I am speaking this morning about the Lord's Prayer. Now, we understand that when we're familiar with something, it can become commonplace to us. And we oftentimes will fail to recognize the value of something when we just get so used to it. I think of the term fresh eyes, and you've all heard the term fresh eyes. You, you look at something with fresh eyes. Fresh eyes see things that we just get used to. They bring a greater sense of clarity. And people with fresh eyes, when they look at something, they have oftentimes a different perspective than what we have when we get used to something. They'll see things that we miss. They'll see things that are important that we have come to minimize or trivialize. Let me give you an illustration of this. A year ago, Joanne and I were looking at selling our house and downsizing. And we had our real estate agent come into the house, and he obviously has fresh eyes. Now, he had been through the house before and had gone down into the basement and kind of poked some fun at me for some of my finishing work on baseboards and different things like that. Fresh eyes. Things that I had gotten used to, things that I just accepted, he said, yeah, that needs to be fixed up. Fresh eyes. It can be a a door in our house that gets jammed. It can be a scuffed uh, cabinet. It could be a door that doesn't open or close properly. It could be carpet that is a little bit overworn or overused. And and we get used to that, but somebody with fresh eyes say, well, that's obviously defective and that needs to be changed, fixed, or replaced. It's important for us to listen to the viewpoints of those with fresh eyes, to see what we become used to. The other day, I asked somebody who had visited our church, what did you think? What did you see? What did you notice? Tell me. Give me an evaluation. And they went through and told us about a few different things that maybe we needed to pay attention to, and I appreciated that. Psalm 119, verse 18, the psalmist says, Open my eyes, that I may see the wondrous things from your law. The psalmist here is saying, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see what's in your word. Help me to to take notice. Help me to to really pay attention. Open my eyes. Give me fresh eyes. Help me see with a new perspective. And so today my prayer is that, that we will see with fresh eyes the Lord's prayer. A generation ago, Every day, they would open the the school day with the reading or the reciting of the Lord's Prayer. 
And it's very interesting when, whenever I do a funeral in the community and people were raised in school in the, the 60s or 70s, I can say the Lord's Prayer and, and many people can recite it along with me, even though they don't go to church. They learned it in school. But I always wonder, does it mean anything to them? Or is it just a recitation that we make? Do we just say it because we know it? And so this morning I want us to, to say, to look with fresh eyes at the Lord's Prayer. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Um, I want to go through here. It's not there. Okay. Joanne, you're going to have to fix that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now this is an abbreviated part of the Lord's Prayer uh, from, other chap- from other books in the, in the Gospels. But we're going to look at this one today because we are working through the book of Luke. And the first point I want to make this morning is our view our view. Father, hallowed be your name. It's part of the prayer. Hallowed be your name. What is our view of God? For a lot of people, when they view God or when they think of God's name, it's something that is used very commonly. Or they have a very low view of God's name. Or God's name is just a swear word. And we need to be careful about how we use God's name. Things like, uh, for God's sakes, or what in God's name, or oh my God. And these are common uses, and they are misuses of the name of God. Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. There is no greater name than the name of our God. The name of God is is holy, it is precious, it is sacred, it is not to be used lightly, it is certainly not to be used in vain or in anger or out of bitterness or for some kind of another trivial use that we may ascribe to it. When the scribes were writing scriptures, In the ancient scrolls, they would oftentimes abbreviate the name of God. And they would go G-D. And the concern was that while they were writing the name of God, if somehow it got defaced or marked, what would they do? That's the name of God. You don't just scribble over it. You don't just white it out. That's the name of God. And so there was that kind of reverence for the name of God. And they took seriously this command that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. If they made a mistake while they were writing the name of God or Yahweh, they dare not scribble it out. But what they would do is carefully cut out that piece of the scroll and write it again on a new piece 
and carefully place that in and not destroy the old piece that they took out. The name of God. Father, hallowed be thy name. Let's look at the name of our Heavenly Father with fresh eyes. Let's reverence it. Let's recognize it as holy. Let's recognize that there is none above it. And when we are calling on the name of God, when we are, when we are lifting our voices in praise and singing hymns, Father, hallowed be thy name. Oh, it's a, a great name. It's a name to be reverenced and respected and honored. And secondly, our future. Your kingdom come. When we think of, when we think of this, we oftentimes think of the end. We think of the end where there, where there will be no more sorrow, where there will be no more suffering, where there will be no more tears and, and no more parting over there. And John, as he was finishing off the book of Revelation, he says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And I hope that as followers of Jesus, there is this, this sense in your own heart of, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come. That we are not just looking for the next paycheck or uh, good meal, but we are looking forward to the coming of the Lord. That when we pray this, there is an, a, an eternal touch of God upon our hearts. And, and we think of eternity. And, and we have a gaze that's set on heaven and, and longing for heaven. And, and we're looking forward to heaven. And Christ soon return. And we're not just enveloped in the cares of the world. But we have eternity on our hearts. And so there's a reminder in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And then thirdly, we look at our source. Give us this day our, our daily bread. And I hope that we are really mindful of the fact that, that God is our provider. Did you know that when you give to the Lord, when you pay a tithe or you give an offering, that is a practical way that you acknowledge and you declare, God is my source. God is my provider. I can trust him with this one-tenth. I know that he will meet my needs. And people for generations upon generations have seen and proven that God is their provider and they're able to very easily say, give us this day our daily bread because they trust him. They trust him. One commentator said, we can leave all that concerns our earthly life in the hands of our Heavenly Father. Isn't that wonderful to know? Everything about your sustenance, everything about your provision, every need, every, every situation, we can trust into the hands of the Lord because he's our provider. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, next to... Uh, my relationship with God is my relationship with my wife. That's the most important earthly priority I have. Next to that is my relationship to our three sons. That's the next, that's the third most important priority. 
in my life, and it should be in your life too. Your, your God, your spouse, if you happen to be married, and then your children. Now, we've raised three young adult males. They're all independent. They're all standing on their own. But it is so frequent that I get a phone call, a text, or an email, and they want advice. It's a problem. It's a situation. And they come to me not because I know everything. And in some cases, they've come to me, and they've actually had the answers, and I have been completely dumbfounded as to what to say to them. And so the common uh, phrase I will use is, well, what do you think you should do? And by that, they then begin to say, well, this is what I think. And I go, well, yeah, I think that's a great idea, not knowing at all what I would do in that situation. But here's the situation. They do not come to me because I'm the smartest person on the face of the earth. And they don't come to me because I have all the answers. You know why they come to me? Because I'm the dad. I'm the dad. And sometimes they go to their mom because they need mom's advice. It's about position. It's about position. And I learned in my own life as most of us, I'm sure all of us have here today, is that our earthly dads are temporary. They pass away. Some people are separated from their fathers today through divorce or separation or estrangement. Some through abandonment, some through death. But I want to say this, that you have a heavenly father who is your provider. And you have a heavenly father who you can call upon every day. And you have a heavenly father who will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He is always there for you and he is your source. He is your provider. In fact, he is the perfect source and he is the perfect provider. More so than any earthly father can ever be. And so we say, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, Lord, you provide everything I need. My, my sustenance, my provisions, my food, my income. But you also give me wisdom, you give me guidance, you give me understanding, and you show me the way. And we can come to him because he's our provider. And then the next one I want to talk about is our hearts. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Or some versions you're familiar with so will say, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or forgive us our debts as we forgive our, our debtors. And so I want to pause on this part of the scripture today. And this is a, a, a key component of this prayer that I think we all need to just pause and look at with fresh eyes and, and, and a fresh perspective. It would seem here that forgiveness and being forgiven go hand in hand. That we are forgiven as we forgive. And we know that that is a, a biblical principle. But I want to talk to you for a few moments about forgiving others. And I want to maybe ask a couple of questions that people commonly ask. And here's a question when it comes to forgiven, forgiveness. 
If I have forgiven someone, why do I still remember what happened to me? If I've forgiven someone, why do I still remember a hurt or an injury or somebody who hurt me? Why do I still remember it? And here's another question people say is, if I have forgiven, why does it still hurt? Not just why do I still remember, but why do I still hurt? Does it mean that I've really forgiven or does it mean that I have unforgiveness in my heart? Well, let me explain it to you this way. On my thumb is a scar. And uh, I grabbed on to, a number of years ago, I grabbed on to a noisy windshield wiper uh, motor on our truck. And I thought, I got to see where this thing is loose. And, and it works on a cam, kind of, doesn't go in a circle, but it kind of goes in a oblong kind of a shape. And so I grabbed a hold of the, of the shaft of this thing, and I was holding on to it. And as it moved down, it almost sliced my thumb off on another piece of metal. And I thought, well, I've done a lot of dumb things in my life, but that would pretty much cap it. I almost lost, I could have lost my thumb if they would have built the truck a little bit different. Well, I didn't. But I still have a scar. And that scar reminds me of an injury. It doesn't hurt anymore. I mean, there's a little sensitivity there, honestly. But it doesn't hurt. I don't think about it from day to day. But when I look down, I am reminded of an injury that took place. But I'm not injured. And I've long since forgiven that truck. And that's how it is in our own lives, is is we can look down or look at a situation and say, I remember, I remember when that person hurt me. But it doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them. Now here's another situation. Maybe you still hurt. Forgiving and healing are two different things. Right? Forgiving and healing are two different things. We can forgive, but sometimes it takes a while for us to heal. Sometimes it takes a while for us to to trust again. Sometimes it takes a while for a relationship to be restored. And sometimes you can forgive, but sometimes you may not reconcile. Let's take, for instance, a situation where a young lady, and we've heard of awful stories like this where, you know, somebody gets cheated on, their spouse has an affair. I, I was listening uh, to a Christian radio program the other day of a young lady whose husband had an affair and left her while she was pregnant. Now, she could forgive but he went on to live with somebody else. And so the relationship is not ever going to be restored to what it was. And so I want to say this, that, that forgiveness and healing are different, and it may take some time for those wounds to heal. But just like a physical injury takes time to heal, so too with emotional and relational wounds. So what are the indications that I haven't forgiven somebody? Well, if you are angry, 
if you are bitter, if you are resentful, if you are out there talking and, and bad-mouthing this person that has hurt you, that's a pretty good indication that you haven't really forgiven them. If you find yourself rehearsing or uh, yelling at them even when they're not present or, or having these conversations, that, well, I wish I could say this to them, I, I wish I could say that to them, or if they were standing here, I would really let them have it. Those are good indicators that we have not forgiven. And here's another aspect is if we can find ourselves reliving, rehearsing, and re-experiencing the injury, it's a good indication that we haven't forgiven. So I heard this quotation the other day, and I, I was really impressed by it, that forgiveness... It's the kindest thing you can do for yourself. And this individual asked somebody who had been hurt, didn't it hurt enough the first time? Why do you keep going over it in your mind? Why do you keep rehearsing that injury? Why do you keep hurting yourself all over again by hanging on to it, by thinking about it, by reliving the past? Forgiveness is the kindest thing you can do to yourself and do for yourself because it allows you to heal. It allows you to move forward. It allows you to get better. So why hurt yourself all over by reliving the hurt? Why did Jesus include forgiveness in this portion of the prayer? Because he was very aware of the fact that we all experience hurt. We all disappoint people, and we will all be disappointed. We all experience pain, and we all exert pain. Sometimes we hurt people, and we're not even aware of it. Sometimes we do it because we're mean. And so Jesus knew that if humans were going to relate together and have relationships and live together without absolutely destroying each other, that we would need to learn the art of forgiveness. We would need to do that. Because we're humans. And we should not be shocked. We should not be surprised when we are hurt, when we are disappointed, when another family member lashes out at us or, or says something. Family members are the worst, I think, most of the times. Those are where we really experience sometimes the greatest hurt. It's on the people that are closest to us. But there is a way out of forgiveness. There is a, there is a way out of hurt. There is a way out of unforgiveness, and that is to forgive. But if you want to get trapped in that hurt, if you want to get trapped in that injury, then don't forgive. Don't forgive. And then, last point I want to make this morning is our direction. Our direction. And so Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, the Lord knows us intimately. And he knows that 
we are going to be faced with all kinds of temptations, with all kinds of opportunities to sin. He knows that there are people that will lead you astray. He knows that there is Satan who, who is a tempter, who is looking to deceive, who is looking to destroy, who is looking to kill, who is, who is looking to attack. And Jesus knows also that our human nature is weak, that we all have been given the power to choose, and we will always be given choices to fall into temptation or to avoid it. So let me ask you this question. Where are you weakest? What tempts you the most? Staying away from temptation is not always possible. But we can, however, change the channel on it. And we have a personal responsibility as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we understand that to avoid temptation, sometimes we need to look at our peers. If a person has a problem with, with bitterness and unforgiveness, and you have surrounded yourself with friends who are bitter and unforgiving, you maybe need to change the channel on your relationships. And either challenge them to bring it up a notch or look for new friends. Because our peers can have a great effect on us and they can lift us up or they can tear us down. If you have a problem with, with gossip and your friends are all gossips, then guess what? You've got a problem with your peers and maybe you're a problem to them as one of their peers. Another area that we need to look at is accountability. We all need to be in accountable relationships. I think that's one of the, the reasons we should all be in life groups is we are not designed to go through this Christian life alone but we should be in relationships where we can talk and, and share and, and have people in our lives that, that hold us to some account. Another area is choices. We all have choices that we make every single day. And that comes back to us. That comes back to being our responsibility. Lead us not into temptation means... I'm not going to just choose to go the wrong direction, but I'm going to choose to walk the right direction. Boy, it's a lot easier to not fall into temptation when I'm not walking towards it. Jesus can lead you out of temptation, but we need to follow his lead. And so as I close this morning, think of the Lord's Prayer this week and look at it with fresh eyes. The Lord's Prayer is transformational. The Lord's Prayer can change your life. But the Lord's Prayer also calls us to action. It's not just a recitation that we should, we should uh, say by rote. But the Lord's Prayer can be life-changing for us and, and can certainly give us some guidance and direction. And let me encourage you this week, if you haven't done it yet, Memorize the Lord's Prayer and start praying it and pray it with meaning. And when you pray each line, think about that line and about 
that area of your life and how that line affects your area. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, here's my needs today. Here's what I'm trusting you for today. My, my, my daily bread today is I need a good night's sleep tonight. My daily bread is I've, I've got this unexpected bill and I don't have the money for it. See, that's what God wants to do for us. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the challenges that we find in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you're bigger than every problem. You're bigger than every situation. You're bigger than every need. And we thank you, Lord, that you will not leave us, you will not forsake us, but you're always faithful. And thank you for this, Lord, this word today, Lord. And I pray that we would begin to live it out as the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts and makes it very real to us. I pray that we'd live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Christian Life Assembly's Message of the Week. Be sure to check us out at clawinnipeg.org for more information.